We come to the second reading of Scripture, which is uh, from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. And we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. We're continuing to see how Jesus is building his church. Uh, and indeed, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but instead, um, his, his spirit renews and enlivens everywhere he leads. And so, um, in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26, we see only the next installment of that. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them into the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall uh, uh, listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up this servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, names do have power. If I were to say the name of Adolf Hitler, instant reaction, right? Say, that is an infamous name, not one that sits well with us. If I were to to say the name of presidents like Abraham Lincoln or Ronald Reagan, you would uh, maybe have different kinds of thoughts, thoughts of, you know, heroic virtue or or maybe, um, you know, critiques you'd make of certain presidents. And their name... Uh, has power. It's connected to their person. That's why, of course, we know the things that people have done, the things that they represent. The name of Jesus has double power. See, in our passage today, just what the name of Jesus does. And we'll learn, of course, that it's not just because of not just because there's something special about the name Jesus, but because of who this person is, who the Son of God taking on human flesh is, and what he's done to save us from our sins and to offer us salvation full and free. The name of Jesus has power. We're going to see that power displayed, and then we're going to see it explained in the sermon, Peter's sermon, and then we're going to see it applied at the end of that sermon. And all through this, the consistent thread that, that links this whole uh, chapter together is the power of the name of Jesus. A name that evokes immediate reaction and a name that demands your adoration. So first, let's see that the power of that name, the power of salvation in Christ displayed. And we see it with the beggar at the temple's gates. Uh, Now, this is a famous passage that probably many of you are familiar with. Um, A man who has been lying there in this tragic position for over 40 years. Never has he been able to move his feet. Day after day, the same routine. He he lies there with only his only able to uh, to maneuver his arms. and, and And he lifts up silver cup. And cries out, have, have pity, have pity on me. A few coins here and there clank into his cup and uh, he ekes out every day uh, this miserable kind of existence where he just lies at the beautiful gates, uh, one of the prominent gates that leads into the temple complex in Jerusalem. Now, the tragedy of this man is, is double. There's two, two prominent tragedies that I think stand out, one more clear than the other. The first is that he just can't help himself. You say, I, just, I wish someone could help him. I wish, I wish, I wish he, could, he could find a way to stand and walk. You can picture him, can't you? They're at the gate, but he, he can't walk. He can't move. There's no sensation in his feet. He was born this way. And the other tragedy is that the temple can't help him. The ornate and beautiful structures of the temple laid with gold. For all the beauty of that structure, its worshipers walk past him day after day. Year after year, and there he lies. It's, it's like this, this prominent reminder that the temple itself cannot save. And, and it's almost like a message saying, 
uh, that what, what has come upon Israel at this time is a kind of empty religion. You go to and from worship and, and you see a man who is utterly helpless. And there's nothing that your rituals can do for him. Until Peter and John head to the temple one day. Here they are in the early days of the church. Uh, we've seen how the church is gaining in numbers and how the gospel is already doing powerful things and the spirit is poured out upon God's people. Well, it's at this very moment um, that Peter and John head to the temple at 3 p.m. in the afternoon to pray. And they're heading there uh, because the temple still has this important place in the life of, um, of God's people at this time. That's going to quickly change um, and by 70 AD, the temple is going to be destroyed as God sending this loud and clear message. My people are the new temple. My savior is uh, the, the dwelling place of God's, God's people. Um, but at this time, there's still this connection to the temple where uh, God's people will draw near and, and, and will pray and we'll, we'll, we'll see the worship and we'll see that it's connected to what, what they're taking up and doing. So here are Peter and John. Going past that man who day after day lifts his hands, have pity, have pity, have pity. And something different happens. They, they actually look at him. Now you think about that. I mean, we have experience with this. Here in Dayton, there are people who will, who will beg for money. At street corners. And what do you do when you pull up to a street corner? You don't, you don't look at them. I mean, that's, been, that, that's, that's my first instinct. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do necessarily, but isn't that our first instinct is just to kind of look away? And then here's Peter and John, and they with boldness look straight at this man. They look him in the eyes. They even say, hey, look at us. I mean, this has to be shocking for him that, that for the first time in a long time, someone is giving them this personal attention. And, and he gets this sense that, they're going to give him something. Well, the first words out of Peter's mouth must have been profoundly disappointing to him. Silver and gold, I don't have. Now, you can imagine, here's those words, his heart must have sank. You know, oh, what are they doing here? What, what is this all about? That's what I need. I need money. I need, I need to keep living like, I need to keep living. But then the next thing they say must have just shocked him. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now that had to be the last thing he was thinking that, that he would hear, right? He's thinking that they're going to tell him off, right? They're, they're thinking that he's, he's, they're, they're going to come, come at him or, 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 or give him some... Some, some sermon that he doesn't want to hear, but instead they speak right to the, the depth of his situation, right to the depth of his helplessness, and they give him the one thing that he most needs, but didn't, didn't think to ask for. He needs to walk. And he needs Christ. And then all of a sudden, he feels in his ankles. Luke is very descriptive about this. He's a doctor, remember. So he, he talks about the man's ankles starting to have life in them again. It's starting to hold weight. And then Peter senses it and he reaches out and he grabs the man's hand and, he, and, and, and the man starts to rise. 
And before all of the people going in and out of the temple, this man starts testing his new feet and jumping and leaping. And you can also, you can hear how, how Luke almost verbally portrays that, walking and leaping and praising God. Uh, kids, there's a song about this that I learned when I grew up. And maybe your parents uh, will, will, will play it for you. You ask them uh, if, if they might uh, want to play for you the song, Silver and Gold Have I None. Um, and it's a good song. Written, written for, for children who love Jesus. And uh, in the song, you can hear walking and leaping and praising God. And here's this man jumping up and down. I, I love this because, friends, it is a classic case of getting something better than you expected. Right? I mean, have you ever had the situation where you get something better than you'd hoped for? You know, you show up to lunch in the cafeteria and you, and you think, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get um, you know, a plate of, of mashed potatoes and gravy. But instead you get, you get a, a, a turkey dinner passed your way and, and, and the people that run the cafeteria have pulled out all the stops and given you this wonderful meal. A little bit more to, uh, uh, to the spiritual end of things. I uh, remember when I... Uh, was very interested in, in a girl in middle school. And I remember going to her church. She invited me to her church. And I went there because I really wanted to, her to be interested in me. But I remember that it was at that, um, at that church that I heard a message. And that message spoke to, to something that I really, really needed to hear. And I thought I was just gonna go to learn more about this, this, late, this young lady. Instead, I didn't really care about getting to know her anymore because I was so excited about this gospel message that was brought to me. And I found myself just going, like actually leaving her behind and going up and talking to the youth pastor and saying, hey, I, I need to hear more about this. Tell me more. Can I call you? I, I, I'd gotten far more than I imagined I would get. I've, don't you know that that's the way the gospel works? You think you're getting something so simple. You, you, you think you're just getting a new way to, uh, you, you think you're getting a, a, a new set of beliefs? You think you're getting a new um, kind of group of people to hang around with? You think you're getting a new kind of ritual to observe day to day? But, but when you embrace the gospel, you get far more than you ever imagined. You get the power of a new life in Jesus. And you learn day after day, friends, that what you thought the gospel was all about. It pales in comparison to what it really is. I think that what we see here in this, this miracle is actually a picture, a living picture of what salvation is like. Here it is, the first miracle in the book of Acts. And it's like packaged as this, this picture of what salvation is like. Because what, what do we see? We see helpless, a helpless person. Just like the world is helpless in sin, unable to lift a finger to help itself, una unable to, to stand and walk in the way of the Lord. And a world that continues to cry out for something uh, that pales in comparison to what it really needs. What do we usually think we need? More money, more things to, fill our, to, to, to help us, to eke out our, our sad existence. And instead, the gospel comes to us and it shocks us with something better, the power of a new life in Christ. 
It's guaranteed in the gospel that you'll find that. Have you found that? Have you, have you personally found this to be the case? Notice what P- Peter said. What I have, I give to you. That's the only way that you can, you can you know, really give someone the gospel is if you have experienced this in your own heart, if you've found the power of a new life in Jesus by looking to him by faith. We'll talk about that more in a moment. It's no surprise that once people see this guy jumping up and down, um, that they're just shocked. And they start to gather around Peter and John. Say, who are you guys? How, how are you doing this? And notice the first thing they do. Peter just starts preaching. He, he says, you've seen salvation displayed. You've seen the power of the name of Jesus displayed. Now, we want to tell you about what you just saw. We want to explain it. And that's exactly what he does. He says, this isn't about us. It's not about our piety. Stop looking in our direction. This is about Jesus who reigns on the throne. This is about the power through faith in his name. Now notice that this whole sermon is about Jesus as you look at it uh, from verse 11 all the way down to 26. It's all about Jesus. And in fact, there's title after title that unpacks who Jesus is and how he gives us that power of a new life. The same kind of power that causes us to rise and leap with resurrection life. Who is Jesus? Well, first of all, he identifies Jesus as the servant of God. The servant of God right there in verse 13. Now, what is this this talking about? Well, we heard in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52 and 53, how Jesus is the, the great servant who is sent by God but he's sent to suffer for the sins of God's people. What did Jesus do as, as the servant of God? Well, he came as sin bearer. He willingly journeyed into the cesspool of our sin. And you can see that cesspool, that, uh, that disgusting um, existence of sin presented before you where people prefer a murder over the pure son of God. That's the kind of world in which Jesus entered into. But he did it willingly. And he did it knowing that sin would swallow him up and overtake him on the cross. That murders would nail him to the cross. He willingly journeyed into uh, that whirlpool of a murdering world. Um, Not on some suicidal mission, but why? On a sin-bearing mission. So that the weight of the sin would fall upon him. Uh, of the world would, would fall upon his shoulders so that he would die the death that we deserve to die so that the murderer would go free, that he, the suffering servant, would go on that mission to save us. And we see that loud and clear here in verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Jesus is called the holy and righteous one. What is this pointing to? It's pointing to his fitness to be that servant of God. Only Jesus of Nazareth, only Jesus Christ, the Son of God come in the flesh to save sinners, could do this. Why? Because only he is holy and righteous, born without sin, living without sin. So that on the cross, he doesn't suffer for sins his own, he suffers for our sin. Finally, he's called the author of life, the author of life. You think, 
Well, that must be pointing to the reality that, that Jesus, that or this, this, as the Son of God, that he was there from the very beginning, giving us life. And of course that's true. We see that in the scriptures. But here, it's speaking specifically of his life from the dead. That the very servant who suffered, and according to Isaiah 53, died the death that we deserve to die. Death did not have the final word over him. For though in that moment it overpowered him, he still had power over it. And he rose again on the third day, full with newness of life. Glorified is what this sermon says. This is the Savior that this, that this sermon is all about. And notice that, that Peter talks about this, this Savior, but he talks about him as he also speaks about the bad news. He says, this is the Savior. This is the one who has power in his name. This is why he has power in his name. He's the servant. He's the holy and righteous one. He's the author of life. He's the, he's the prophet like Moses. Come to lead you in the right way. But you denied him. Now, the people who were here, who were actually hearing this, literally went through the motions of verbally denying him, putting him on the cross, trading him for a murder. But that bad news comes to us as well. Because, friends, all of us have something in common, and it's this that we are sinners. That all of us would willingly choose the murder so that we could live life how we want to live it. That's what the scriptures clearly state. It's the bad news, but the good news is this that what we see depicted in this lame man leaping and walking. What we see explained as the power in the name of Jesus actually comes to you and I this morning. Put forward as hope to be received by faith. Notice, notice what Peter says. He says, by his name, this is verse 16, by his name, by faith in his name, He has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, friends, the call to repentance, the call to faith, the call to embrace the Savior, it is for you this morning. Jesus of Nazareth says to you from his throne, rise up and walk. And that's true if, you've, if you have received him and have that newness of life in you. He still says to you today, whatever sins are besetting you, put them behind you and stand up and walk in newness of life. But perhaps you've never stood and walked in Jesus. Perhaps you are still like that man, paralyzed, and, and helpless in your sins. He says to you, you can do nothing. You can do nothing to make this situation better in yourself. And there's no ritual. And there's no pattern that can fix this except faith in me. Rise up and walk. 
trust in me and walk. And look at how he welcomes us to do this with these beautiful words of encouragement and a promise. Verse 19. You know, these are the people. Peter is speaking this to people that decided to exchange the holy and righteous one for a murderer. And look at the kind words he says to them. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now, here's the first beautiful promise. Your sins will be blotted out through faith in Jesus. Now, if you imagine that if we all went in into the Sunday school room and we pulled out the whiteboard and I just wrote up on the board everything that you are guilty of, everything that stands between you and your God, everything that you wish uh, no one else would see. And I just wrote it up on the board, thing after thing after thing after thing. You would hate that, wouldn't you? You say, I want that stuff gone. I don't want it standing against me. I don't want anyone else to see it. And I especially don't want God to hold that against me. Well, then here comes Jesus, full of promise. Through what he did on the cross, he wipes that board clean so that it's, it's empty. It's white. It's ready for new, new things to be written on it. Things that you can say, Lord, I'm proud. I'm proud this is on here. Thank you for working this in me. Thank you for writing a new story. Thank you for blotting out the old. There's more though. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He, he, he nails our record of debts to the cross. He, he wipes it clean on the board of our life. But then look at, at verse 20. He says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, didn't we hear this very thing from the book of Joel in Sunday school this morning? Times of refreshing, like like new rain watering the ground and and, and causing plants to sprout. Jesus gives you this. You say, you know, I'm so glad Jesus has forgiven me for my sins. But I'm tired of feeling dry and distant from God. I'm tired of knowing my sins are forgiven, but just keeping doing the same things and walking in that same way. Well, God just doesn't wipe the, the slate of your life clean. He also gives you Times of refreshment in which you have the power of a new life to live out. Power of change. Power to enjoy him once more. To say, it's good to be a Christian. It's good to walk in God's law. I love it. I feel refreshed. It's like, that moment right after the rain has stopped and you just feel everything starting to grow again. Isn't that how you want your, isn't that what you want? God says, that's, that's why I sent my son so that you'd have that. And then in verse 21, God speaks of sending the Christ who's appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring of all things which God spoke through his prophets. You see, in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
We have forgiveness of sins. We have the power of a new life. And we have the promise of eternal life. We have a future in which we know he's coming again to renew all things and restore them. And friends, that's when the lame will leap for joy. You see, you say, why isn't Jesus, why isn't Jesus healing people uh, who, who are lame today? Why isn't he fixing the broken? And we have to confess, we believe he can do that today. But we also believe that what he has started right now is going to find its beautiful culmination in the new heavens and new earth where there will be no broken bodies, no sickness, no pain. But walking and leaping and praising God. Friends, all of this is available to you, but it's only through faith in the name of Jesus. Not some name is a modern kind of magic, some kind of spell. You say Jesus and it makes everything better. No, not some name. It's abracadabra. Uh, No, but the, the power of his person and work. You don't just believe on a name. You don't just cite a name, but you believe in the person and all that he has done so that you have this. Have you believed in him? Have you embraced him? Well, Jesus says to you this morning, rise, walk, and do so through faith in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness that comes from your throne. Uh, Lord, uh, the blotting out of all of our sins. Lord, there's nothing, um, nothing on the board of our life that could ever stand against us on that final day. No condemnation in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we also thank you for the times of refreshing that you've, you've brought. Lord, give us that even more to us so that, uh, Lord, our relationship with you is not dry, but full of beauty and growth and holiness. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of eternal life that uh, your son is coming again, that heaven holds him now, but will not hold him forever for he will burst forth and come and redeem us. And on that day, there will be no sorrow, but only the power of new life and new bodies. We thank you for all these promises. We ask that we would hold to them in Christ's name. Amen.